0: Friends, Greg Kokel here, your host of Stand to Reason. And we are pushing 30 years, May 1st. So, what's that about? Two months to go, right? Like, this is, we just had March 1st. April, May—that's two months, at least by according to old school, a uh, way of calculating. And uh, anyway, and longer than that on the air, actually thirty-three years plus right now for me. But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be um, sharing this time with you and and receiving your calls. We got some people on board here. We'll, We'll, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, just to get, bring you up to date on a couple of things very quickly, I just don't want to forget this, uh, where some of our team is going to be soon, where you may want to go. For example, Tim Barnett, our Canadian, <laughs> he's going to be on the, the south of the border here at uh, Faith and Reason Apologetics Conference in Woodstock, Virginia. And that'll be Saturday, March 4th, Sunday, March 5th. So when you're getting this, this is like, tomorrow and the next day kind of thing, right? Because this is the Friday Edition, right? Okay. And uh, that's that's a Faith and Reason Apologetics Conference in Woodstock, Virginia. I'm going to be at Calvary Chapel in Tucson next week in Arizona, Tuesday, March 7th, for their Defending the Faith Pastors and Leaders Conference. Now, my presumption is, with the details I'm giving you, it should be enough for you to Google these. I don't have all the connections, and you can't click the blue line here, because there's no blue line to click, but you can check that out. Uh there are also some more opportunities to join us. at This season's Reality Apologetics just had a full house, absolutely stuffed to the gills, 2,600 kids and young people and some moms and dads and youth leaders, too. We let them come in, too. They got to do the drive-in, but it was great to see all these young people just absolutely exhilarated. The wonderful reality that we did in Dallas last weekend. Uh, three weekends from this weekend, we're going to be in Philly, okay? And I joke about that. It's as far north as we could get and still find Christians. But that's our Northeast version. And uh if you want details on that, go to realityapologetics dot org and you could sign up for that. Last I heard about a week ago today, I think we were about two thirds full. Oh, oh, it's dot com. Well oh, yeah, but thank you. Thanks. Dot com. Realityapologetics dot com. My bad. And uh Jay Warner Wallace, Jason Jimenez, Mary Jo Sharp. Megan Almond, our team is going to be there. It's really a fabulous event. And two more opportunities one in Philly, where actually it's northeast, northwest of Philly, about an hour, but roughly that area, in Augusta, Georgia, um, in April. So that's what's left. And last I heard, what, uh, a week ago, I think we were about two thirds full in Philly, something like that. Uh, so, I mean, the, the seats are going fast, and then we got Augusta in, in uh, let's see, let me get a look at the dates here. Philly is March twenty four and 25th, and Augusta, Georgia, April 21st and 22nd. So that's what's left for this season, and I'd love to see you there, all right? Now, w- when I was uh, in Dallas last weekend, usually on Saturday morning, we get to meet with, we get put out a, a nice little breakfast for a lot of people who are partners with us at Stand to Reason, and we just bring them up to date on a couple of things. And and I, I, I was reading the night before, before I went to bed, and I don't always read the Bible before I go to bed, but usually I try to hit a couple verses, a psalm or something, maybe some Proverbs, just for me to think about. Close my day off with the Lord, thank God for the day and some of the things that took place. And uh, I was reading in First Peter. Now, I like First Peter for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, it is the—I the, think it is the New Testament book most dedicated <laughs> to the issue of suffering and uh, suffering by various trials. First couple of verses, it uh, let's see what, where it uses that phrase. Various in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. But it's not just various trials. There's a lot of direct persecution and suffering. That, uh, that Peter addresses in there. And he's, he actually says, why, why are you surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, as if something strange were happening to you? No, this is normal. This is ordinary. Jesus suffered. Just as Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourself for the same purpose. For those, that's chapter two. Chapter four those who suffer according to the will of God, entrust yourselves to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. So there's a lot of acknowledgement of the fact of suffering and spiritual uh, challenge. Your de- your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing you're not alone. Your brethren in the world are suffering in much the same way. So it, it addresses a lot of it for Christians now who are facing more suffering from the world, more challenge, more canceling, more lost jobs, more hostility more marginalization, because merely being we are merely being faithful to Christ. Uh, this book is a good one. Lots of good stuff in this book. So I read it with some frequency, or browse through it just to get encouragement, especially that this world is not my home. And when I was reading the other night, and this is what I explained to, I shared with the the Stand Partners at breakfast on Saturday morning there in Dallas. Just as I read the first couple of verses, something stood out for me and I, 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 in a way that it hadn't before. Peter starts, first one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, so from and to, from Peter, and to, who's it to? Those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and talks about the special selection God has made of us his own. But what stood out for me were the first couple of words that I breezed over just a moment ago, and so let me say them again, to those who reside as aliens, scattered, Aliens scattered. And when I countenanced for our group that Saturday morning, what we had seen Friday night, 2,600 students packed into this church that holds 2,400 in the main sanctuary, 2,200 in the main sanctuary, with two other rooms of 200 each overflow, I thought of, and, and as I thought of the contrast of these... Energetic, faithful Christians hungering for more information about Christ and evidence for the truth of Christianity. I think that was most of them. There's always tire kickers. People are dragged there by their friends or their parents or their youth leaders or whatever, or maybe curious. But mostly believers looking to be equipped. Aliens. Scattered. Scattered. They are in a foreign land, they are behind enemy enemy lines, they're in hostile territory, and this never more true than it is now, and getting more so. As every day passes, just talked to a friend earlier before the show who was here in the office. His daughter's involved in you know Knott's berry farm. And Part of that community, and we'll go into detail. Except for they posted Christian stuff on their Facebook or some of their social media, and bam, just just the whole world came down on them. That community canceling them, they, you know, their views caused genocide. This is what they were charged with. Can you believe that? Our views caused cause genocide. Now, these girls, by the way, are teenagers, faithful to Christ, just standing up being lights in darkness, and the darkness is trying to shut them down. They are aliens scattered. When you look at the population, now we are together as a body of Christ. We need each other. We encourage each other. We build each other up. That's what the show is for. That's what standard reason is for. That's what your local community uh, gatherings, the body of Christ, the called out ones, the ecclesia called out from the world to gather together on a regular basis for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction from the Word, encouragement from the body to face as aliens the onslaught of a dark and hostile culture. When I grew up, and even when I became a Christian, it was not like that. The culture was largely pro-Christian, or at least thought favorably about Christianity and Christian people. Then it drifted into a neutral phase, and now it is extremely hostile. And I mentioned before about the the oppression by ideology just because we believe differently from the, the rest of the world because we advance our views this is an act of aggression against them this is the way it's viewed this is why we get canceled this is why we're called what we're we're called we're charged with with uh, endangering people with genocide because of our beliefs really that's crazy Nevertheless, this is the way Christians are being characterized, and so we are aliens and we're scattered. It's okay. And that's what Peter's saying, it's okay, because you have been secured in an a, a inheritance as a result of the resurrection. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. No one can cancel that. No one can take that away undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." Boy, that's a great section of Scripture, isn't it? It's all First Peter chapter 1. That was the first eight verses. The ninth being, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's what counts. It's the eternal benefit, not the temporal difficulty or hardship or suffering. Now, um just noticed something that grieves me. We had a caller on board and he faded out, died on the vine. But I remember his question. And the question was, how does Satan tempt us? Or that's what you put up, right, Amy? So um trusting that our erstwhile caller, <laughs> former, not anymore, will be listening. Let me say something about that. Um what a temptation is, is an inducement to do something. So, uh, in this case, since we're talking about the devil, uh, the temptation is an inducement to do evil. Now, um, God doesn't tempt us in that way. James makes this clear in James chapter 1. God does not tempt us or induce us to evil. He doesn't prod us in that direction. It is the devil that prods us in that direction, and he does it in a, in a variety of ways. Um, but I just want to mention, though, that when James talks about prodding to inducement to evil, he mentions not the devil, but the flesh. <laughs> that the flesh is the thing that is, is animated inside of us, that the devil, in some sense, has access to, to incite. And so, we cooperate with him. Now, in the case of Jesus at the temptation, we saw how the devil tempted him. Do this, do this, and do this, and you'll get something for it. Each one was an enticement of sorts to do something that he ought not do, but The promise was he would get something valuable as a result of that. Now, Jesus didn't have the flesh. He didn't have this desire to cooperate, but he still had the temptation. And even though he didn't have the flesh doesn't mean that the temptation didn't have an appeal. And he resisted the devil who fled from him, which is the very thing we're told to do. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James says that. I think it may be also in yeah, First Peter 5, resist him firm in your faith, is what it says there. So we are told to resist the devil and his appeals and his temptations, his inducements. And his inducements might be by engineering, and I don't know how he does this, but engineering something to come before our eyes that looks appealing. And, of course, the first thing that comes to a guy's Thinking when I suggest that is something sensual, sexual, even. But that isn't the only way that he tempts the. There may, there was. I remember a conversation years ago. It was at Summit. Actually, I was having a conversation with someone who denied that Satan had access to our minds, and I, I, I don't know how he could not if he's going to tempt us, because part of the inducement. Does't it say in, in the Gospels that that Satan put it into the mind of Judas to betray Christ? Something to that effect. So uh, it just seems like there are the inducements can parade in front of our eyes that he might have involvement with that then tempt us to do evil, but the inducements can be thoughts. And this is why we're to be careful of the way we think about things. Now I, that's a struggle. And it's something I struggle with all the time. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now, why do I know all those words? Because I have to recite them to myself to remind me to do what it says, just like you have to. Because in our minds, these temptations come. John 13, 2. I'll turn to it. Thank you, Amos. In our minds, these temptations come, and we can make a choice what to do with the temptation. Put it out of our mind or dwell on it and follow it in some measure. Then our flesh chooses to do that, and we're hooked by the devil's temptation. The flesh chooses to do evil, and sin is accomplished. John 13 2. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus then washed the disciples' feet. There it is. So he does have access to our minds. So I would say visibly and also in our minds, but it's more our minds than anything else, because, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of stuff that happen around us. Here I am in the office, there's nothing bizarre that tempts me to sin, but in my mind, I can go all kinds of places. And I don't mean just central places, I mean all kinds of other places that have to do with relationships and people and evil thoughts and self-centered things and pride and all kinds of stuff there. So, that's how Satan tempts us, all of those ways he gets in. So, sorry I missed my caller. I don't know what his name is, but I hope that helps. Resist him firm in your faith, and resist the flesh. Boy, they're nasty, though. It's a struggle. The whole Christian life is a struggle. This September 28th, I will be 50 years in Christ. And it's still a struggle all the time. Doesn't mean I'm not victorious, characteristically, not always, but characteristically I am. That's because of the Lord. But the struggle is is there, and it will always be there until the resurrection, because the flesh doesn't get resurrected. <laughs> that fallen self, whatever it is, those tendencies as a result of the fall that that uh, beset us, well, we don't carry that with us. We leave that behind, thankfully, but it's going to be there until the end. That's where we have to have our guards up. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back for your calls on Stand of Reason what if i'm wrong
1: have you ever asked yourself that question there are times when we feel confident about our convictions but there are other times if we're being honest when we encounter doubts that leave us wondering if we got it all wrong this has caused many to deconstruct their faith if you can't give a why to your faith you won't be able to give a why not to your doubts in other words if you don't have a christianity anchored in what's true you will always be at the mercy of your doubts. That's why we're excited to announce this year's Reality Conference. Our theme is Seek and You Will Find. We will equip students to navigate their doubts by seeking answers to their toughest questions. Because when you seek answers, you find truth. It's time to examine the foundations of our faith because a strong faith requires a strong foundation. Join us at one of this year's Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. For more information, visit realityapologetics.com.
2: As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year I was scrolling through social media and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic. And subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed.
0: All right, taking open mic calls here. Remember to participate in open mic calls. You can record your question live, as it were, and we'll play it on the show when we get to you eventually. And uh, go to the homepage, str.org, and look under podcasts, and then under live broadcast there, and then follow the prompts. You can also dial 857-342-5787. And uh, and then leave your recording there. It's also eight five seven dial str. Uh, what I haven't done in a while is given give the phone number for the show, so you can actually talk with me and interact with me. So let me do that. Eight five five two four three nine nine seven five. That's eight five five two four three nine nine seven five. You can call any time that I'm here, which would be Tuesdays from uh, four until six p.m. Pacific time. Okay, there you go. So let's see what we got here. I got Dan with a question about um, something that's happening with his kids in high school. Dan?
3: Hey, Greg, this is Dan. I'm a longtime listener. I listened to you on KBRT back in the 90s wow. when I lived in Southern California. Wow. Recently, I rediscovered you in the world of podcasts. Mm. Thanks so much for your ministry to us all for so long. Mm. My question is about education, specifically appropriate literature. I've recently been involved in a situation where a Christian student was given the assignment to read Catch-22 as part of an English class. This is a class of high school seniors. The response some have given to my concern is that we shouldn't shelter our children, but prepare them for the real world. And I agree in part with that concept. But this book, and I think many others, crosses the line. Of course, the Bible tells a lot about the wickedness of the real world, but without describing it, especially sexual sin, as graphically as many books do. As I read the book of Ephesians, it seems that as Christians, we should certainly avoid crude and immoral entertainment and discussing, as it says, what the wicked do in secret. So how do you see an appropriate way to prepare our children for the real world without resorting to such graphic depictions of sin in such books? And as a follow up question, how do you recommend addressing this concern to a school and in this case, a private school?
0: Okay, uh this is uh, thank you for the question first of all Dan and it's it's a hard one to deal with um because there are a number of different factors that are involved here. Um you know in 1 Corinthians 5 uh Paul talks about um the difference of standards for the Inside the church and standards in the world, as it were, and there was a problem of sin by a believer in the church, that the church was overlooking, and they should have corrected that, and they didn't. But he makes it clear too. You know, we don't we don't want you to go out of the world and isolate yourself from non-Christians because that would mean you're you're out of the world that you are sent into to reach. But that world is a seemly. Seemly? Seamy! That's the right word. An ugly world. Okay. Um, And uh, it's nasty and dirty. Guess would be good words to use to describe it. Um, In my own household, for example, you, you, you can't watch a movie, hardly, unless it's a Pixar or something like that, that doesn't have questionable language in it. Now, I've said to my girls, when they want to watch a movie at a friend's house or something like that and they say, well, Dad, it doesn't have bad words in it, something like that. And I, what I say to them is I'm not really that concerned about the bad words. I'm more concerned about the bad ideas. Uh, and those they can't recognize as readily as I can recognize them, okay? <clears throat> so, there's a sense in which some of the seeminess of the of the world the bad language and stuff it's going to be very virtually impossible to avoid if you are in that world now if we're watching something that's got um graphic sexual sin being depicted, well this is where even the girls want the the d v d or whatever we're watching to be fast forwarded okay? And I'm with that. So they already have a sensitivity to that. Now, the ideas are another problem, and that's kind of a bigger concern. Now, what is it, Joseph Heller wrote Catch-22? I, I saw the movie, I didn't read the book, and it's a, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a significant piece of literature, okay? I don't know about what kind of sexual sin is graphically depicted there, all right? I think that as a person gets older, and uh then and this is a senior in high school then they are they are going to be trying to think of the best way to put it we don't want to stick people in the gutter but at the same time being yeah, our kids in the gutter but at the same time being exposed to the ideas of the world to understand those ideas and the people in the world is going to expose them to um <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right words to describe it. You're going to get the, they're going to get their feet dirty a little bit. Now, how dirty? This is going to be an individual decision. I think there are clear extremes. But at the same time, if we the only way to avoid getting soiled at all is to stay completely out of those environments, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that we can't do that. So this is where I think a parent is going to have to make the decision based on the content in any given situation and also their own child's sensitivity. Now, acknowledging there are extreme examples. I mean, if there's just flat-out pornography, forget it. That's off the charts. All right. Um, So a lot depends on what graphically – depicted sexual sin looks like in Catch-22. And it might be that you read the book, except for those pages, and say, you know, this is not... We paperclip them and whatever, we're not going there. And your children understand that. It might be, you know, we're not going there for the whole book. Um, how do you deal with that with the teacher? I, I think that now this is countercultural right now but it seems to me every parent should have the first right of refusal <laughs> regarding what their kids learn teachers do not like this characteristically and we see this all with the gender stuff going on teachers think they know what's best for your kids, and they're going to do what they believe is best. That's upside down. They are in local parentis. They are in the place of the parents temporarily and partially, but they're in the place of the parents, meaning that they represent the parents' interests. While well, the parents aren't there. Instead, now it's in local... I'm trying to think of a Latin word for teacher. I don't know what it is. In other words, the teacher's in charge of everything, and they're the ones who have the chief responsibility over the kids, and the parents ought to, you know, toe the line. It's backwards. And as parents, we need to be telling the school this isn't right. This is not right, and they're not doing it. Now, I don't have my kids in public school. My, my eldest daughter was in for a couple of years in, in a charter school where she was reasonably protected because of the teachers that were Christians that were there. My youngest is a sophomore, and she's in a Christian school, so I don't have to deal with that, thankfully. But I—there uh, uh, th- should—this is a private high school, right? It's not even a public high school, but it actually doesn't matter. As a parent, Um, you, being whatever parent, not just Dan, should be able to weigh in and say, this material that you've assigned to my children, my child, is not appropriate for my child. Period. Full stop. End of issue. Thank you very much. They're not reading it. Can you please provide an alternate? Now, the only way you're going to be able to do that, of course, is if you have some familiarity with the particular issue or the text or the material that's involved. I mean, you get your copy of Heller's Catch-22 and see what's questionable. There's The ideas in virtually anything that they read are going to be a problem. Um, we have to teach them how to address ideologically these issues. Uh, but, But exposure to, I guess for lack of a better word, smut, I haven't heard that word for a while. Pornography is the noble way of referring, but it's just garbage. It's smut. Exposure to that, we should be able to say, nope, not on my watch, not with my kid. You can do it nicely, graciously, not with your nose in the air, but just, I'm drawing the line here, teachers. But make sure you're, you know what you're drawing the line on. you got to be familiar with that material to say, this is not appropriate for my student. What's plan B for her grade, his grade, whatever? That's what I would suggest. You know, you, you, it's just really sad that it's come to this, but it's coming to this all over the place. It's not just this issue. But, I mean, the trans issue is massive. Teachers hiding from parents what their children are choosing to do and encouraging their children, the parents' children, in a way that's inappropriate for some strangers to encourage minors against the parents' wishes. But it's the color of the world right now. And uh, Amy had a great observation about when all of this trans stuff is going to end. And it's going to end when the lawsuits start. And they've already started in England. And it didn't take many lawsuits for them to shut down that whole direction there in England with all the trans stuff, because kids do the trans thing medically Against their parents' wishes, and then when they get older, they sue the doctors. And the minute we start doing that here in this country, it's gonna that's that whole thing's gonna end. But uh, unfortunately, that's what it's gonna take. It isn't gonna take respect for parents. That's not gonna happen because teachers. I'm just look. I'm just looking at the trends. I'm not picking on any particular teacher, but the trend that we see in the public schools especially right now is they think they know what's good they think they 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 know better what's good for your kid than you do all right so let's see i'm just looking at the clock here <clears throat> let's 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 uh take troy here we had a whole show with troy um Actually, it was an extra, so maybe it's not been aired yet, But uh, because he's had a lot of questions. But uh, we have uh, Troy's question about uh, utilitarian solution for Christianity. Let's hear what he has to say about that and respond. Hi,
3: Greg. This is Troy again. Uh, Recently submitted a question. You answered it well. I think that you really captured what I was asking, so I wanted to ask another one. How do I avoid making Christ into merely a utilitarian solution to our current cultural climate when discussing the Christian worldview with unbelievers?
0: Well, um, I think the key to your question it has the word "merely," okay, because there is a utilitarian element. If what we mean by that is a pragmatic element in being a Christian. Okay now, utilitarianism is actually a broader ethical view in which the uh, the means always justify the ends uh, whether a thing is is uh, good or not depends on uh, how effective that that means whose goodness is in question accomplishes a certain end, but the ends aren't necessarily moral, okay. Uh, that's how you. That's a way of kind of cashing out the morality project. Okay, but I think what Troy, what you have in mind here is that um, how do we avoid making Christ into see the practical solution to things? Maybe in our culture right now, that reduces him to pragmatic utilitarian functioning, and uh, I, I think the answer to that is is that we treat Christ as not just Savior, but as Lord, and I'm and I'm and I'm uh, char- what I'm characterizing there in that phrase is both the the not just the work of Christ, Savior, but also the person of Christ. He is the Lord. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So we are honoring Him as the Lord of all creation, with whom we have to do, to whom we are surrendered, and who we follow with our hand to the plow. Now, are there, in a certain sense, benefits to that, especially in light of our culture? Sure. There's a utility to that. There's a pragmatic element. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So, he is is inviting us back into the kingdom under the, the, the rulership of the Father in the world that God has made. It was set up a certain way in the beginning so that humans would flourish. We have rebelled and gone off, and we are not flourishing because we rebel against God's ways. We return back to His ways, and we flourish. Now, the flourishing is somehow, to some degree, um, compromised, though, because we might live the way God wants us to live by obeying him, but we also live in a fallen world that is hostile to God's ways. And consequently then, we are, as I mentioned earlier, aliens scattered. Aliens behind enemy lines, as it were. And uh, therefore, we, we are going to get the hostility directed at us from an alien foreign culture, alien to us and our values. So flourishing, the idea that we are flourishing now as Christians needs to be qualified. We are flourishing in God's system, but the world system is against us, and so this is going to cause us grief and difficulty and hardship. Like Peter says, you are now beset, if necessary, for a while by various trials. So we we take, we, we commend ourselves to the Lord and again, this is Peter. If you are suffering according to the will of God, um, how does he put it? Commit yourself or commend yourself to God in doing, entrust yourself. That's how he puts it. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator in doing what is right. There's our MO. Hey, this is tough. This is hard. Doesn't feel like flourishing to me. Well, you live in right. So, you're bringing honor to God, you entrust yourself to God in the midst of the difficulty and and do what's right before him. Now, Are there benefits? Yeah, there are benefits, but there are also costs. And Peter is quite candid about what those costs entail. Just as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves for the same purpose. And when he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not return evil for evil. Okay, so there's all kinds of practical things there in that book. Um, but I, there's, I think there's no, nothing inappropriate of living properly before God and then enjoying the benefits of the proper living that come along with the <laughs> difficulties, hardships, trials, and persecution that standing for Christ entails in a fallen culture in general, and now in a culture that's increasingly aggressively hostile to virtually everything that uh, Christianity stands for, God's kingdom stands for. By the way, when I say the the culture is aggressively hostile, I I don't mean every single person you're going to meet. In fact, the vast majority of people that you meet and have to do with are not going to give you a problem. It is the gatekeepers. It's not just the academy, that would be the university, but also the whole public school system being pushed and run a lot of it by teachers' unions that are all on board with all of this stuff. So that's one place, not that all teachers are like that, but the teacher's leadership and the policy that the teachers have to go along with, whether they like it or not, or else they get canceled. That's going to be hostile to you. And then the film industry and the advertising. The, I mean, some of you, I didn't see this. I don't care to see it, but some of you saw the Grammys and basically the devil got a Grammy, right? Or was it an Emmy? Which Grammys? It was a Grammy. See, what do I know? Okay, the devil. I mean, when I had, when a, when one of my colleagues, John Noyce, Gave a description of what he saw. He also wrote about it, I think it's posted on our website, The Devil is Real is the title of his piece. Um, I, I could not believe it. It was like devil worship on the stage. In any event, so there you go, Hollywood, right? Got that. You got the legacy media, right? No duh. And you've got, in a lot of ways, the government um, participating in all of this as well. So w- w- the culture, then, is really—the de- the pressure of the culture is not discern- determined by the, by the rank and file, it's determined by the the doorkeepers, and the, all the doorkeepers, every single one of them, is hostile to Christianity, to the Christian worldview, to God, ultimately. And I, I think frequently of, of Psalm 2, you know, you might want to go there once in a while, the second psalm, okay? And it's uh, it starts, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We're going to do our own thing. Heck with them. Heck with God. Heck with Jesus. Next verse, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Do you know who you're messing with? That's going to come. But this first few verses are so characteristic of our age. The nations are in an uproar. The peoples devise a vain, vain thing. What vain thing? They think they're going to beat God. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart. You're not going to rule me. Really? Okay. All right. So, uh, time for a break? Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll come back with more of your calls. Let's... Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics,
2: but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR outpost. STR outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost, or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at
0: Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STR It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STR Ask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Final segment here at Standorissa and we have a caller from from Texas and the thing is I don't really know how to say your name. Is it Marino? Mariano. May say it again. Mariano.
2: Mariano? Mariano. You can get oh, well, can can it. It's
0: like Mary. Is that like a, a yeah. version? Okay. <laughs> Mary's easier, but uh, Mariano sounds uh, is that Spanish?
1: Yes. No, yes, sorry.
0: Sorry. Okay, okay, Mariano, Mary, it's nice to chat with you today. Tell me what's on your mind. Um, I'm just
1: wondering, like, how to deal
2: with loneliness, because I've
0: been dealing with it a lot recently. Uh-huh. Oh, man, that's a tough one. You know, I saw this, and I thought, oh, what can I say? I mean, part of the deal here is—do okay, you mind if I ask you your age, Mary?
2: Oh, I'm just 12.
0: 12 okay um well p- part of what i want to say and and i'm uh and i'm being very serious i'm taking it very seriously but part of what i want to say is this too shall pass okay and what i mean is that when at your age and i remember when i was at that age too and i think there's a similarity though i think sometimes for girls it's even harder i think there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion and a lot of self doubt, not yeah. knowing. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And so it it's very easy to feel like nobody understands and we're all alone. Okay.
2: Yeah. Have a goal.
0: <laughs> okay. Um even if we have friends, we still can feel lonely. Um yeah. do you do you have friends, Mary?
2: I have like
0: two, three, but no siblings, no siblings, oh, okay, uh, yeah. sometimes you know it's funny uh kids with without siblings feel lonely because they didn't have any siblings, and kids with siblings are annoyed because they have them,
2: yeah, I hear that
0: a lot, yeah, well, I had four. And, uh, you know, sometimes we got along and sometimes we didn't. I I guess I was never lonely in my family with regards to siblings because they were around a lot. There were four of us who lived in – we actually had somebody who lived with us, too. So we had three boys and then someone else, and we had four in one bedroom. So we didn't get lonely in that sense. But even when you have people around you, like friends and stuff, it's easy to feel like no one understands. Okay? Yeah. So – um, this happens even when we grow up, although it it's different uh, because our perspective is a little different. But we still can feel like when we're facing challenges, which we all will do at, during life, that that we feel alone. People get married so they could be close with another person, but still, there's loneliness in marriage because human beings are human, you know, and and they're. There are difficulties that people encounter. Um, and I'll just tell you for myself, and, uh, you know, I'm you, you, I'm a human being like you are, even though I'm older and you're younger, and so th- our experiences are a little different. The, still, the, the thing about being lonely is still a real part of life, even for me. And so um, this is where, uh, you know, at the, le- at the risk of sounding like, um, what's the right word here? oh like overly spiritual <laughs> but this is where my relationship my friendship with god really is important okay mm-hmm. i have a phrase that i use a lot and i use it with my family or i use it especially with my team here and we're talking about things that happen and what's going on you know and here's the phrase god knows god knows and what, what, I am, what I'm expressing when I say that is that I don't get what's going on. I can't figure this particular thing out. I don't know how to resolve this conflict I'm having in this relationship. I don't know how it's all going to end up. And those are all details or particulars that could really get me down. And then I just remind myself, and I do say this a lot, and, you know, my team could tell you, they hear me say it, but God knows. God knows. And it, it's, it's, an, it's an affirmation that I'm not alone, that I'm being cared for by a good father who gets it and understands even when I don't. And that good father is on my side. Amen. Does that make Amen. sense? Say again. Amen. Yeah. He's on my side and he's not gonna leave me. He's not gonna forsake me. I read those kind of verses a lot. What I just said there was in Romans eight. And uh I was just reading on the air earlier from first Peter chapter one about encountering various trials, but what Peter says essentially is God knows. And he's got something prepared for us reserved in heaven for us, even though right now we're going through various trials. I think that you won't always feel lonely, uh, Mary. I, I, I think it's harder when you're at your stage in life. Um, you're 12, I've, I have a 15-year-old now, she just turned 15, and and she's been a little bit strange ever since she turned 12. <laughs> but because that's that's kind of the stage of life okay but even when things are strange god still knows and god's still there and and he's the he's the anchor that we can hang on to even in the midst of our confusion um there's in a couple of months i'll be of my 50th anniversary or birthday in the lord okay I'm, I'm older than 50 years old but i but i'm 50 years as a christian and even after 50 years um boy there's sure sure a lot of stuff that i just don't understand and i don't get it and i can't solve certain problems and even 50 years as a christian i still feel lonely at times yeah. um so that that's in a, in a certain sense, it's part of life to get, to learn, to deal with. Um It's better when you are able to make, you're able to make good friends and generally you can make a good friend by being a good friend. That helps. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I have, I have really good friends. I mean, I'm looking at some of them right now. They're so sweet and, and I know they love me and, um, uh they're, they 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 to use a, a military phrase they got my back or they have my six did you ever hear that phrase before yep they got your six yep. you know they're right there with me okay and that's great to know because we're facing a tough world and the more that you can be a friend to others um the more deeper friendships you'll make that will benefit you as well you know it's just just the way things work so um I I, I I guess my my two pieces of advice I, I'd like to hear your response or your thoughts about it too is um, there it says in Proverbs there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother okay and and um, you don't you don't have a brother but you can develop friends that are going to be even closer to you as time goes on and the key to having good friends is to be a good friend okay yeah. and then sometimes all your friends. Uh, might desert you, or they—they're what whatever friends you have may not be adequate to the moment for your need. And yep. that's when you have the friend that is the best friend that will never leave you, and that's the yep. Lord, you know. So, um, I don't know, it is, am I missing something here from your circumstance, or does that help you?
2: No, that does help. Thank you.
0: Uh, what grade are you in? Seventh seventh grade. I'm trying to remember when I was a seventh grader. That was a long time ago. But yeah, I'm I, home too,
2: so I don't go to public school. Say again? I don't go to public school. Oh, okay.
0: School. Well, that, that, can be, that can be good. Uh, and things yeah. could be worse in a public school. But I will tell you this, and I know this, and I just got a few seconds here to mention this. Um, it's harder to grow up being a girl at this age than it is being a guy. Because yes. I think I like guys that. get along better with each other at this age than girls get along with each other. Yes. And girls That's can true. be really, you know, I, I know this because women tell me this. Girls, especially at this age, can be really nasty to each other. Yes. And, and so this is where, you know, I mentioned kind of casting yourself in the Lord, but also not returning evil for evil, and this is a lesson that I've just been pounded in my head from scripture, you know, over for the last few years. Greg, you can't respond bad to people who are bad to you. That isn't what God wants. So anyway, I'm just going to leave that thought with you as we kind of wind out here. My music's coming up in a second, but I just want to thank you so much, Mariano. Yeah. Yes, for calling me. It takes a lot of courage to call and to ask a question like that on the air. God bless you, dear.
3: Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye-bye now.
2: Bye.
0: Que Dios te bendiga. God bless you. There you go, friends. Greg Koukl for Stand a Reason. Give him heaven. Bye-bye.